Um, we're also going to be having a special um, building offering. Um, there are some things we still want to be able to get finished, um, something that need to get finished. Um, thankful for what we've done, but something we really want to feel very funds for is to um, replace the door right in between the buildings. And uh, there, that one's been rotten and we've been needing to get that replaced for a long time. And so we'll be trying to raise some funds for that on the anniversary Sunday. And then, if, uh, depending on what comes in, another need we really need to get done is the, the T111 on the other side of the fellowship hall of the administration building. It's just really rotting. Um, birds were um, chipping away at the wood and making nests inside of the walls. Um, Daniel did a temporary fix and put in some firewood up there, um, but things is continuing to degrade around it, so we just really need to um, replace the T111 there, and as you know, the price of lumber has really increased, um, but we really don't want to wait um, to go through another winter, um, otherwise we might end up having to replace all the framing on the inside of the walls. And so just be in prayer for that. Um, Lord, the Lord would enable allow you to maybe um, participate in, in um, our anniversary offering. And so you might be wondering what Peter to go to. Um, second Peter. I couldn't remember, so that's why I just told you Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, servant, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according to his divine power, have given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For these things be in you, and abound. They make you that you shall neither be barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. But he that lacked of these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence, make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Right here, Peter writes about how is a Christian to grow in grace, 
to grow in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us a few items uh, to focus on that we add to our faith virtue, a, a, or in other words, moral excellence, and you virtue knowledge, uh, to increase in our knowledge. The Bible talks about in, um, in the Old Testament where God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That his own people suffered when there was a lack of knowledge, a lack of awareness of knowledge in general, and specifically to the revelation that God has given. And we're going to talk about that um, today and growing in our knowledge, um, in particular, of the Word of God. And um, it says to add to knowledge, temperance, that would be self-control. Uh, you know, learning to be disciplined, to be able to control um, our appetites, um, to be able to self-control ourselves away from love, the lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. Um, and uh, temperance, patience. You see, that's one thing you're never supposed to pray for is more patience. Because think you're going to get another trial to help you learn patience. I don't know if that sounds theology or not. I think that's just how we sometimes feel. Um, but says that the patience, godliness, and the godliness, brotherly kindness. And oh, you know, you'll see different sects of Christianity that many of them lack basic brotherly kindness. You know, the Bible does give us a hint in John that if we love not our brother, the love of the Father is not in us. And so if our Christianity just brings us to hate people, uh, or to be divisive, we should really question what Christianity we really have. Are we really following the Christ of the Bible? In the brotherly kindness, charity. Saying, if these things are in you, and if they abound, that we won't be unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that we'll be able to grow. Um, but the Bible says that he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And so while a Christian may lack some of these attributes, it doesn't mean they've lost salvation, but it means we can come to a point where we've really forgotten what God's brought us from. We've forgotten about how God has saved us, how he's redeemed us, how he saved us from our sins, that we've been purged from our old sins. And so that we're being blind, we cannot really see it far off. And so the Bible says to give diligence to make your calling and election sure. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with getting assurance of our salvation. You know, when we haven't been walking with the Lord, uh, you know, walking with the Lord isn't what saves us, but oftentimes when we're not walking with the Lord, you know, sometimes that can be a fruit that might indicate maybe we weren't saved in the first place, or maybe we were saved, but we're backslidden. And so to get it right, to make our calling, our election, sure. Talking about knowledge today, it's going to be a real basic message this morning, but I'm going to be finding knowledge you know, and knowledge would be defined as facts, information, skills acquired by a person through experience or education. Um, the the, 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 
theoretical or practical understanding of a subject. And in here, you know, the Bible specifically talks about the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To increase in our knowledge of the facts about Jesus Christ. But also to increase in our experience, in our love of Christ and His love for us. And so that we should increase in our knowledge, both of the facts, of the information of who Jesus Christ is, but also in a deepening education in our relationship, our experience with Christ. The Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That when we have a healthy, respectful fear of God, it helps impart a knowledge to us. You know, when we read in, in God's Word where God gives His commands not to do something, and we fear Him, we have a reverence for Him, and gives us that knowledge to not act inappropriately. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1.29 says, For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Philippians 3.9. Go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3.9. Um, the Apostle Paul is here writing to the church of Philippi and says, um, and he it be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. That knowledge, okay? Now this knowledge isn't, again, just a mental thing of who Jesus is, but this is to know Him relationally, to, to know Him personally, to have a relationship with Jesus, to know Him. You know, when you know your spouse, and I'm not talking about like where it talks about in Genesis and Adam you. Eve and she conceived. Not about that time. But when your the Bible says, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. To, to get to know your wife. To get to know your spouse. And the reason it says to dwell with them according to knowledge is because they're always changing. So once you leave and you come back, you're going to be different. Their personality is going to be different. Um, they're um, what they like before is going to be different. It's supposed to be a joke, okay? It's a laugh there, okay? Excuse me, sir. Um, but, you know, it does say you dwell with them, okay? So if you go on a business trip, you know what? They might be a little bit different when you come back. But dwell with them according to knowledge. You know, in our relationship with Jesus, we need to dwell with him. We need to spend time with him to get to know him. To spend time in the Word and reading the Word of God about Him and reading what He has said to us. And He says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. 
And so this knowledge of him is experimental, that he experiences the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And he has learned to suffer with Christ, to suffer for the need, his name's sake, and be made conformable unto his death. And so how do we grow in our knowledge of Christ? Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so we grow in our knowledge of our faith by hearing. You know, you're here today, you're hearing the word of God spoken, hearing the word of God preached. Also, when you're reading the Bible, you know, you're hearing or you're reading the word of God. And so you're growing in that way, and that's how faith comes. And so by hearing of the word of God, and so we grow in our knowledge of Christ, one, by hearing and reading the word of God. And it's interesting that what we call the scriptures, or what we call the Holy Bible, we call this the word of God. You know, in the Bible, in John 1, talks about how in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, that how the person of Jesus Christ himself is the word of God. That he is the express image of the Godhead. That he speaks for the words of the Father. He is the word of God. In Revelation 19, 13, it says that he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And so we need to spend time with Jesus, reading the Word, spending time in prayer, crying unto him. Ephesians 6, 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, Wherefore he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen. And so here in our spiritual warfare, okay, you know, the Bible doesn't call us to take on arms to fight a spiritual enemy. Okay, you know, and the Bible doesn't tell us to go spread our faith by the sword. It doesn't tell us to spread our beliefs to evangelize by guns or armory or any type of that kind of stuff. That we don't go have the attitude that many in Islam do, where they need to either convert or pay tax or die. It's not how God has us to spread our faith. You know, we don't try to force conversions. Do we try to evangelize? Try to share the gospel? Absolutely, we're commanded to. To preach it, teach the gospel in all nations. But the Bible does also talk about that um, as we get in, that if they receive us not and they kick us out, the Bible says, shake the dust of your feet and move on to another. Because there's others that are dying and going to hell in another city over that needs to hear the gospel. And perhaps the soil is softened, its voice is ready, and we're to spread the gospel. So our sword is the word of God. That's not even in our clever arguments. It's in giving the word of God. And you know, more important to in witnessing to an atheist is quoting them the word of God than just trying to have an intellectual debate. 
Sir, answer your questions. You know, the Bible just talked about give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in you. And we should not intentionally be non-intellectual. But it's not going to be our intellect that reaches people of the gospel. It's going to be the word of God. And it's our knowledge of the word of God is what then helps our intellect in being able to give arguments that support the word of God and show them. Luke 4, 4 says that Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. By every word of God. And in growing in our walk with the Lord, it takes much more than coming here on a Sunday morning and hearing the message preach. Now, it's important, okay? Preach the word, to hear the preaching of the word. Very important. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of summons, but we can gather so much the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. But we are not going to grow in our walk with the Lord like we should be if that's our own only spiritual diet. If that's the only time we're in the Bible, that's the only time we're in the Word of God, it's on Sunday mornings. We are not going to grow to where we should be in our walk with the Lord. Amen. Bill Hybels, pastor of Mega Church, Willow Creek. They basically pioneered the movement, the seeker-sensitive movement. Him and uh, what's the name? Rick Warren. They pioneered the movement to be seeker-sensitive. That to really grow a church, check and see what the people in the community want. Go into the streets, take a survey, and ask the people, what do you like about a church? Some go, I like rock and roll. So, okay, let's put rock and roll in our church. Someone says, oh, you know, I just don't like preachy teaching. I just want just... Okay, just tell me what the Bible says, but don't preach to me. Then he says, you know what? I only want the service to be 40 minutes. And they conform it. And then that's what we're doing when we're doing that, is instead of taking the Bible, God's instructions, what Jesus has told us on how a church is to operate, we're asking the unregenerate man, the lost man, what they think church should be like. But it's backwards. You know, the Bible says God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them which are lost. And so, yes, it may come across as foolishness that I'm here preaching to have someone yell at you from the pulpit or whatever it may be like. And, and that's preaching not about to just, it's not about yelling, but the Bible does compare preaching to the sounds of a trumpet. And that is a little bit more passionate than the smooth sounds of a violin and stuff. You know, and we do see that God did tell Jonah to cry out against Nineveh, to preach about their wickedness. And what's Nineveh do? Instead of being a hardened heart, turning away from God and just wanting to kill them? Now that could have happened. We do see that happen a hundred times in the Bible. But Jonah went and preached about their wickedness. When they do, they repent. You see, lost man 
does not know what is best for what they need. But Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, they want a better model. How do we grow a big church? We go to the community, we ask them what they want, and then we give that to them. And sure enough, their church is grew. You know what? It was a church that was patterned after the world. Fed the, um, um, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and gave them what they want. Well, Bill Hybels, leader of the movement, had an aha moment. Now, granted, a lot of preachers were preaching against this model, preaching against what he was teaching. But we don't want to fault him for having this aha uh, moment, although he should have had it right from the beginning. But he said this, some of the stuff that we have put millions of dollars into thinking, it would really help our people grow and develop spiritually. When the data actually came back, it wasn't helping people that much. Other things that we didn't put that much money into and didn't put much staff against is stuff our people are crying out for. Was, and so having spent 30 years creating and promoting a multi-million dollar organization driven by programs and measured participation and convincing other church leaders to do the same as conferences, you can see why you know what this is a wake-up call for him. He, he says this, we made a mistake. What we should have done when people cross the line of faith and become Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. Self-feeders. We should have gotten people, taught people how to read their Bible between services. How to do the spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. In other words, he confesses that spiritual growth doesn't happen best by becoming dependent upon elaborate church programs. But through the age-old spiritual practices of prayer, Bible reading, and relationships. And ironically, these basic disciplines do not require multi-million dollar facilities and hundreds of staff to manage. There's nothing wrong with having those. You know, for a church to be big, nothing wrong with a church being big. But it's what's at the heart of it. Is it just in the programs to entertain people, or is it teaching them to be self-feeders, to be reading the Bible on their own? You know, what caused, in part, the Protestant Reformation, where people's eyes started to open up about the corruption that was in the Catholic Church, is before the Catholic Church, they didn't want you reading the Bible. They wanted you to depend on the priests for an understanding of the Bible. They burned people in the state for reading the Bible, for translating the Bible in English. So did the Church of England. Burned William Tyndale into state for translating the Bible into the English language. But what caused this reformation was people started to be self-readers, self-feeders. They were reading the Word of God for themselves. And seeing, you know what? Forgiveness of sin does not 
come from confessing our sins to a priest and paying him money for that forgiveness to build the Vatican. They're like, wow, that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible talks about in Christ alone, by grace, through faith alone, that there can't be a ransom that we pay to give us eternal life, that that ransom was Jesus Christ. And so it was a great awakening because now the world at large, and especially the English-speaking world, started to read the Bible for themselves. Nowadays, okay, we have Bibles printed everywhere. But we just don't read it. And so it's like we're going back to the dark ages in our understanding that we've quit being self-feeders by and large. But what brought so much enlightenment, what brought knowledge and the industrial revolution and all of this knowledge and even secular things initially began by a knowledge of the Word of God. Bill Heibel says this, our dream is that we fundamentally change the way we do church. That we take out a clean sheet of paper and we rethink all of our old assumptions. Replace it with new insights, insights that are informed by research and rooted in Scripture. Our, church, our dream is really to discover what God is doing and how He's asking us to transform this planet. And so Will Hybels, he confessed, he recognized as a mega church pastor that he had not been teaching the people to read the Bible on their own. But simply to be part of the church, just be part of the programs, be part of the small groups, be a part. And thankfully, he acknowledged it. Some would just try to bury this information and hide it. But he recognized it. If we're going to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to not just hear me on Sundays, we need to be in the Word. We need to be in the Word. Something that my wife often reminds me that I often don't do well enough is reading it in front of the kids. You know, reading in front of your grandchildren. Hey, why can't I read it? You know, whether it be in bed or giving it work. My wife reminds me, you know, we need to be reading it in front of our children more. Be in a sound. Let them see that we're feeding off of the Word of God. The Word of God should be a daily consumption. Compared to food. First Peter 2 2. Go ahead and turn there. First Peter 2 2. Apostle Paul Peter said in his first life, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that he may grow thereby. The sincere milk of the word. To desire it. You know, sometimes, a lot of times what happens is we don't desire it because we haven't been in it. But many times when we start getting in it, you start desiring for more. You start to crave more as you read And here Peter tells of his newborn babes, his new Christians, desire the sincere milk of the word, that he may grow thereby. A newborn baby would die if it had no source of nutrition. This is the same with older children and adults. 
If we quit having <laughs> nutrition, you know, if we quit having any food, we're going to die quicker than we would otherwise. If we don't eat for a long period of time, then we would die sooner than later. And you know, it will die spiritually. You know what? So Jesus says, blessed are they that thirst after righteousness and hunger after righteousness. The desire it. We won't grow. So the Bible says, he that lack of these things is blind and cannot see it far off and have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And so as we mature spiritually as the baby does um, physically, then we are able to digest and understand more of the Word of God. And I remember as a newborn Christian, you know, I desired the Word of God and you know there were times where I desired to understand things that were way above my understanding. But I had that hunger. And sometimes the pastor said, hey, you know what? I'll answer those questions, but you maybe won't understand it quite yet. But let's study here. Let's read here. Let's get some understanding. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. It says, For everyone that eats of milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You know, before Paul said the desire is sincere milk of the word. Okay? So it's a newborn Christian, desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. But God does not want us to stay babes spiritually our whole life. You know, it is very possible for, you know what, there be a new Christian that's been on fire, that's been zealous and increasing in their knowledge that over a year's time of growing in the Lord could be more spiritually mature than someone that's been saved for 40 years. And it's, it's basically being whether it wants a self or a desire to grow. Okay, well, it's a new Christian, desire to grow in it. If that's where you're at, grow on the milk of the word. But he doesn't want to save us there. Okay? Can you imagine, okay, if you were an infant, if you still were only drinking milk today? That's all your diet was? It'd be terrible. That's all your diet was. No smoke pork in that. Just milk. No tacos. No salads. Okay? and maybe vegetarian. No salads in Just milk. Be awful. You wouldn't grow, you wouldn't get the nutrition that you needed. He says, for everyone that is use of milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is in vain. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As you mature in your walk, there ought to be where you have an understanding that you are able to discern between good and evil better than someone that's a newly saved person. I remember being newly saved and asking my pastors about why you say this or that is wrong. I don't see anything wrong with it. And a lot of times they were things that weren't them of themselves necessarily wrong, but that could lead to things that were wrong. And so, so it was the discernment that he had. 
of spiritual growth, for spiritual growth, we must make the Word of God a priority to us. You see, Job did that. You think of Job. <clears throat> Job is the earliest written book, okay, of the Bible. He did not have the whole Old or New Testament to read on. But the Word of God that he did have, he made it a priority. Job 23, 12, it says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job had the attitude that more necessary than food is the word of God. And we grow thereby. Hosea 4, 6 was where it says, where God says, My people are destroyed for lacking knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. Forgot the law of God. Forgot the word of God. And so they were destroyed for lack of knowledge. Second Peter chapter three, verse fifteen says, "In account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, have written unto you, is also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood." which they that are unlearned and unstable breasts, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. And so here we see Peter acknowledging that what Paul has written is scripture, that is part of Holy Scripture, where he says there are some things that Paul writes about that are hard to understand, and that there would be false teachers that would twist things, or people that were simply ignorant, and they wouldn't have a proper understanding, and it would be to their own destruction. So she therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also be led away with the ear of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Grow, we must stay steadfast. There'll be false teachers who corrupt God's word. Paul warned in 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. We're not corrupting the word of God, but there are many that do. Jesus said that even people would use their traditions, their rituals, at the expense of the Word of God. He says, making the Word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Mark 7, 13. He says, you know what? You have the religious practices, but you make the Word of God of none effect. We talked about on Wednesday night on obedience. You know, the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. 
that God would much rather have our obedience than for us to not obey and have all these religious rituals that mean nothing. 1 John 2, 14, close with this. John writes, I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. And ye have overcome the wicked one. So whether you're old or young, may the word of God abide in you. May you grow. May your faith grow. It's not going to grow at the pace it should be if it's just coming to church on Sundays. May you grow in the Word of God. I challenge you, you know, get a Bible reading schedule. I think we have some. We need to find them. If not, we could order some more. But you can find them different, different ones online as well, where you just a Bible reading schedule, reading a Bible in a year. <clears throat> Takes, I believe, about four chapters a day to read the Bible through in a year. And really, if you were to just read it constantly, which I don't think any of you would be able to stay awake doing this, um, but 72 hours. Alexander Scorby is recording the Bible, 72 hours. Now, I would probably fall asleep trying to do that, okay? Okay? What you think about it, really? Reading 72 hours? over a longer period of time, doesn't take you that much to get through this. Some of you are readers, you know, maybe some of you love reading novels. You can go through those quick. Some of you maybe go through those in one sitting. Just encourage you to make the Word of God a priority in your life. Go ahead and have a time of invitation. You know, you spend some time in prayer and just some more to remind you. Word of God to grow. Pastor asked me to pray, dismiss us and pray for food. So uh, we can offer just a moment. Lord, thank you for uh, this day we have together. Bless uh, the food we're going to have and enjoy. Thank you for it. And the spirit against the flesh, for the flesh lusts up against the spirit, excuse me, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I told you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so now the Bible talks about also that, you know, it's such worse some of you in Corinthians. It doesn't mean if you've done one of these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's talking about someone that is left in their depraved and sinful state. That they haven't been redeemed, they haven't been sanctified, they haven't been washed. Um, so as you see in the Bible, that there are times in Christian struggle with these, and that's when they're walking in the flesh. And so, but those that are just given to it, given over to a reprobate mind, it's just completely in their nature to be in this way, and that's where they need the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. There is no law that says you can have too much love. There is no law that says, oh, you pass the speed limit of joy in your life. No law against peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, qualities. God doesn't put a law and say, nope, you've gone overboard. Okay? Meekness, temperance. Like, oh, no, you had too much self-control. They that are in Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Okay? Basically, if we are saved, let's live like we're saved. Okay? Let's live like it. Let's walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. They you know, don't look at each other as competition, or competition for different roles or ministries, or um, just in our person, or like who could have the most access, or any such thing that, you know, we're not to be envious of one, or we should rejoice in one another. That, you know, even if maybe Sandy don't have, say, the best house, but you hear of someone else getting a new house, rejoice with them. Don't mourn that you don't have it. You know, there's power in seeing others being blessed and being being able to rejoice about that. You know, we want to um, keep our focus on the eyes, or keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, not on the things that are tempered. And so, it's time for revival. But in revival, you know what, there's going to be a time for rejoicing. To rejoice. To rejoice, what, in salvation. To rejoice in the salvation that God has already given us. But think about it. Imagine, actually before I go there, I just want to give a story that illustrates um, what I'm saying. You know, a parable of a man and his tree. You know, it was winter. And nothing 
mark this particular tree that this guy had. He just got a new property and there was this tree here. And uh, it didn't look much different than some of the other trees, but it grew differently. In spring, the tree began to grow leaves and tiny pink buds. And he said, how wonderful. I'm going to enjoy its beauty all summer. Certainly the wind began to blow and soon all the petals were in the yard. What a mess this tree is. It isn't of any use at all. Towards the end of the summer, he noticed there was green fruit the size of large nuts. He took a bite and was disgusted and said, how bitter this is. What an awful taste. This tree is worthless. Its flowers are so delicate. The wind blows them away, and its fruit is extremely bitter. When winter comes, I'm definitely cutting this tree down. <clears throat> the tree continued to draw warmth from the sun during the summer and water from the ground, and then when late fall came, the tree began to produce delicious red apples. This tree did not produce fruit in the beginning um, states of its existence because it had to first endure a growing process that took time. When the time was right, the tree produced its fruit. We as Christians are meant to produce fruit, and we can only produce the right type of fruit if we grow through the Holy Spirit and walk in Him. The only way to produce the right type of fruit is by the Spirit alone. Now is the time to walk in the Spirit. There's times, there's circumstances that God drags us through. Times that are unpleasant. Those dark winter seasons in our life. But God uses that to grow us, to give us endurance, to build us, to get us to lead, to trust in Him. Amen. And not in our circumstances. To trust that God is sovereign. And God allows us to grow through those times so that we can be revived. That we can have revival in our life. You look at the early church, that much of its revival was done during persecution. You know, at first the church was meeting in Jerusalem. They came, they assembled, they, they, they had preaching, they had singing, they prayed, and they had potlucks. Okay. Where's Paulus in the Bible? You just read in Acts 2. Okay? Paulus is a modern term, but it says they broke bread. Okay? They broke bread together. So they had all of that, and then the persecution And they were scattered. No longer were they assembling in one place in Jerusalem, but they scattered, and they started churches in multiple cities. And while they were always on the flee, you don't really see them going underground, so to speak. They were bold in declaring the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so they had great revival. You know, one has said, well, it was John Fox, maybe it was someone else, but it says that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And that the church would blossom. And I'll get back to it. It's a time for rejoicing. Rejoice in your salvation. And just imagine your last, last breath being taken from you. You're raptured to heaven. Your eyes gaze over the pure um, river that the Bible says shines. There is clear. It's crystal. 
uh, the sparkling water reflects the heaven's vastness. When you look down, you see the streets are pure gold. The Bible says transparent as glass in the New Jerusalem. You just see the glorious sun. The light is shining beautifully bright. And the Bible says that in heaven, in the new heaven, the new earth, there will be no need for the sun or the moon for its light because the Lord will be its light. And then you're standing in awe of your Savior. Heaven is glorious, but then when you're face to face with your Savior, one that died for you to play for you, save you, redeem you from the consequences of your sin. How precious of a sight that is going to be. And in your knees, when you nearly fall to the ground, and your head bows instantaneously um, in worship and thanksgiving for the gift of salvation. Now, we can rejoice in salvation now. We don't need to wait to be in awe when we see him face to face. We can live day to day, knowing that our salvation will one day be completely tangible. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Live our life looking forward to the future, our redemption, draw of nigh. One day, our faith will be turned into sight. We will see him face to face. We will be known as we are known. So the Bible says we know partially. We know in part. But one day we will be known even as we are known. And so rejoice in your salvation. If you want revival, think about your salvation. Look at what God has saved you from. And you know, some people sometimes wonder, you know, I don't have this great testimony of being saved out of drugs. You know, I kind of grew up in a Christian home. No, rejoice in that. Rejoice you did not have to go through all that. That God saved you from a lot of that stuff. Whether God saved you from or out of. One thing is for sure, God has saved us out of sin. Saved us out of the dominion, the power of sin. And so rejoice in your salvation. And rejoice in the security that you have in Christ. That you have complete security in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in the initial construction of the Golden Gate Bridge, no safety devices were used. Now, I look at some of these ancient photos of people up building the towers, no safety gear. I'm like, wow, I can't even stand on there if I have safety gear on. Man, I'm like up there, and I'm not even that afraid of heights, but you know what, up 20, 30 stories? Yeah, I'm going to be fearful. I wouldn't be able to punch my legs and just keep on being moving, shaking. But you know what, they, they didn't really use all that much safety gear back then, and on the Golden Gate Bridge, they weren't using it initially, and as a result, 23 men fell into their deaths. For the final part of the project, they realized, you know what, they some kind of security, some kind of safety. And so they installed a large net to be used as a safety precaution. And at least 10 men fell into it. 
course, he didn't die. Okay? He fell in the net. You know, I'm sure that wasn't fun either, falling in the net. But you know what? It saved them, protected them. And what was interesting, what they noticed was there was at least 25% more work accomplished during the same time frame when the net, after the net was installed. They worked more freely as they were working. You know, they weren't like so careful in their work. They were able to work much quicker, much more efficiently. Why? Because the men felt more secure to work. They were more free to wholeheartedly serve in the project. You know, you and I can live our lives wholeheartedly to the cause of Christ without fear of eternal destruction. We can rejoice in the security that comes from the Spirit of God. I've met some that I know they go to church regularly, but they're always fearful. They're always afraid. They're afraid that if they commit one sin, that they lose their salvation. And someone I was talking to that they felt like that because they turned their TV on in a hotel, not looking at anything new, not looking at pornography, not looking at anything bad like that. But just as they turned the TV on, they felt like he needed to repent his heart right so he wouldn't go to hell. Same person felt like because he visited our church, that he went to an apostate church and could go to hell. So went back to it, the church he was going to, and it's very cold. You know, when people are so fearful that one false step how innocent it is, but even if it wasn't innocent, they're afraid that if they just fall in one area, that they feel like they're in danger of judgment. You know, that person is not does not live very effectively for Christ. You know, he's depending on his own works. Trying to earn his salvation. But the Bible says, By the works of the flesh shall no, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And so, but you know, I know some that they're genuinely sinning. And they just live in guilt. Always feeling guilty. You know, it could be something small. And they're just wondering, you know, do I need to call this person? Um, I, I, I think I might have said something wrong. So what, did they look like they were offended? No, but just the way I said it, it, it might be. You know, it's one thing where, hey, you know what, something happens once in a while, and you think, you know what, maybe it would be good to give them a call, just in case. But when you're living that way day to day, it's not healthy. It's not going to help you live a productive life um, serving Christ when you're living in guilt all the time. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 and verse 13. In whom he also trusted, after that he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The Spirit of God seals us after we believe, after we've received Jesus, after the gospel has made its impartation into our life, the Spirit of God seals us and it's our earnest to the day of redemption. That there's nothing I do that's going to make me fall out of my salvation. Because it's not my salvation, it's God's salvation. Jesus said, ye are in my Father's hand. And ye are in my hand. And then the Bible says we're sealed by the Spirit of God. And Jesus says, no man shall pluck you out of my hand. Okay? And that includes you. You cannot pluck yourself out of the hand of God. Now, can you hinder your fellowship with God? Absolutely. Can you walk in the flesh? Yes. And that hurts that fellowship. But just like when your child disobeys you, okay, it may hinder a certain type of fellowship, but they do not quit being your child. And being a right kind of parent, your child isn't going to be totally worried about, you know, does my parent love me? You know, am I going to be gone? You know, what's going to happen? Am I no longer their son? Or no longer their daughter? No. There's a security that even when there is corrective discipline, that you know, my parents love me, they care for me, they take care of me. This is parents should be. I understand not everyone has had um, that kind of a home, and so sometimes people have a hard time relating that God is their father because they didn't have the godly father. We got to be careful not to misconstrue who God is by our earthly father that has their thoughts. You know, none of us are perfect. You know, you think about that, you know, you think about our wife. Okay, you know, the Bible talks about okay, a wife submitting to her husband. You know, you think about that. I mean, whenever she doesn't follow you as you want her to, ere you follow a perfect sin, a perfect God, and you do not always submit. And you know what? God doesn't make you submit either. Gives you a free will. But you can't follow a perfect Savior. Don't be surprised when your wife can't follow a man that's filled with the sinful nature. Okay? And you know what it is? Yes, the Bible says that follow submit to your husband. But you know you can't force him. You don't make him. That should be something for your love, for your cherishing of your spouse, that they voluntarily desire to want to follow and submit. It's like God desires for us to follow and you obey Him, but He gives you that free will. Sealed by the Spirit of God. And so, with your security and salvation, Serve Christ with joy. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in your security. Okay, you're saved in Christ. If you've been saved, 
Second Corinthians 1.22 says, You have sowed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Acts 3.19 There may be a time of refreshing. A time of refreshing. Acts 3.19 says, Repeat ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You know, there is revival when we repent. You know, the Bible talks about Chronicles, you know, when uh, my people repent, when they turn from their wicked ways, that I'll hear from them, that I'll heal um, their land. And so when we come to repentance, the times of refreshing can come. A lot of times we don't have revival, it's because we're walking in the flesh. We're not walking in the spirit. And we're not going to have revival if we're walking in the flesh. We need to repent to turn from our wickedness and turn to Christ. And then we can be refreshed by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The devil will fight your faithfulness. He'll test your loyalty. But you can be refreshed by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, in verse 16, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comfort, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because the seeing him not, neither know of him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Be refreshed by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Spafford uh, had known peaceful, happy days as a successful attorney in Chicago. He was the father of four daughters, an active member of the Presbyterian Church, and a loyal friend, a supporter of D.L. Moody in his time, and other Christian leaders of his day. But then there was a series of calamities, calamities that began. Difficulties, trials, starting with the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, which wiped out his family's real estate investments, and when Mr. Moody and his music associate, Ira Sankey, left for Great Britain for an evangelistic campaign, Spafford decided to lift the spirits of his family by taking them on a vacation to Europe. He also planned to assist in the Moody Sankey meetings there. Wanted to be a part of that evangelistic outreach. Like, today, vacation was going to these great revival meetings. November of 1873, Spafford had to stay behind because of urgent business, but he sent his wife and four daughters to schedule um, to go and went on the SS Bellevue Harbor ship, planning to join them soon. Halfway across the Atlantic, the ship was struck by an English vessel and sank in 13 and 12 minutes. All four of his daughters died. Janetta, Maggie, Annie, and Bessie were among 226 people who drowned. His wife miraculously survived. Spafford stood hour after hour on the deck of the ship, carrying him to rejoin his wife. Went on another ship, was going to go see his wife, who's mourning 
And this day pass the area where they sunk. And I believe um, the captain of the ship spoke out loud and said, you know what, this is where uh, many perished in the ship that sunk. And when the ship passed that place, Spafford receives sustaining comfort from God and enabled him to write the song. It goes, when peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Say what is during a time of grief, it is well with my soul. Now, the Holy Spirit helps us in sorrow when we're grieving. Go ahead and turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also help of our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself make of intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches of the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he make of intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When you have believed this promise, have faith in us that when we're grieving, we're mourning, when we're struggling, and you know what? The Spirit of God makes intercession for us. You know, like John 17 talks about when Jesus prayed for his apostles and for those that would believe. The Spirit of God, likewise, makes intercession on our behalf, prays for us. It's there for us. And make of intercession for the saints according to the will of God. But always Spirit guides us into the truth of God's word. But not only does he do that, he prays for us. He's there for us. And may we be revived knowing that. A time for reviving. Time for reviving. And that includes personal revival. Having personal revival in our lives. And um, back in the Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And if we're going to have revival again, we can't be sowing in the flesh. We must sow in the Spirit. Feed that which feeds the Spirit of God and feeds our spirit. Revival comes when we are completely dedicated, dedicated to sowing the seeds of righteousness. When we leave no time for the flesh and walk in the Spirit, then we will have revival of spiritual fruit in our lives. The beginning of revival is when the people of God begin living in the power of an ungrieved and unquenched Holy Spirit. And we have security in the Spirit of God, but the Bible does talk about how sometimes we as Christians grieve and quench the Spirit of God in our lives. 
If we want revival, we need to not grieve and quench the Spirit of God. Now I read that one grain of corn grows to be a stalk of corn, and there are approximately seven ears that grow from that one stalk. On each ear of corn, there are approximately 1,000 grains of corn. Plant one grain of corn and reap 7,000 grains of corn. When you're filled with the power of the Spirit, you will begin to sow the seeds of righteousness. These seeds will reap spiritual fruit, as Galatians talks about, about this fruit of the Spirit. As Peter also talks about adding to your faith, diligence, adding um, um, temperance and um, joy, and, and on and on it goes. When you walk in the Spirit, you will reap spirituality, and you'll reap spiritual blessings. When you sow in the Spirit faithfully, you will reap from the Lord bountifully. Person over Bible begins when you choose to sow to the Spirit. Family revival. Likewise, an easy way to quench folks revival in your family is to live filled with yourself, isolated from your family, filled with pride. You know, as a husband and a wife, serve the spiritual needs that you see need to be sown to reap a spiritual family. Work together. Church revival. You know, we're not going to have a church revival unless we have personal revival. Likewise, family revival. If you personally have a revival in your spiritual walk with God, your family is more likely to be revived, and then your church is more likely to be revived. You know, one day a lady approached Billy Sunday, he was a preacher in the 1800s, and, they, and, and asked, why do you keep having revival meetings when it doesn't last? You know, as we often call, you know, when we have a guest speaker and a deep revival meeting, we call it revivals. And that could either be a genuine revival that comes through the preaching of the Word and the empowerment of the Spirit, or it could just be just having a guest speaker. It would be empty. But you know what she asks us, why do you keep having these revival meetings if they don't always last? Now you know what, everyone gets pumped up, they rally, they get excited, they serve the Lord, but not everyone continues on. Some of them get back down and get back out of church. Why do you keep having them when they don't always last? And he asks her, why do you keep taking baths? Why do you keep taking baths? They don't last. That's the question. Why do we keep having coming to church every week? You know, or you know, a woman can go maybe have counsel and someone going for a struggle. You know, when we come back, we need to be revived. We need to be rechallenged. We need uh, our church needs continual revival to place our ways, to get our motives back on track in serving the Lord. You get back out, evangelize. Having extra preaching meetings. Psalm 85, 6. The psalmist says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? The answer is yes. God will give you revival. God will revive you. Now, while salvation is all dependent on 
upon the saving work of Christ, and you simply have in faith, for revival in our Christian life is going to take a surrendering to walk in this spirit, to crucify the lusts in our life. God wants to revive us again. Revelation 22. It's all right, have it there for you. Yeah. Revelation 22, 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that hear of say, Come, and let him that is the thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life free. Time of rejoicing, renewal, and revival is open to whosoever will. Whatsoever, whatever is keeping you from bringing that, being that whosoever, and taking God in His word is not worth it. You hold the key to this rejoicing, renewal, revival. You choose to walk in this spirit. Let's go ahead and we'll have a time of invitation. Um, Eyes closed, heads bowed, seducing place. God wants to bring you revival. God wants to bring revival to our church. And the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all, but God's not willing also for his children to live in the ways of the world or to have the same fears and concerns as the world. Of course, it give us a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that most people cannot have because they don't have Christ. Peace that's able to come out of our heart. It is well you this morning and pray for revival for our church. Pray for revival for yourself, for your family. Pray for our anniversary Sunday coming up. And I will come out on outreach on Saturday. I ask you to take some time and pray. And those that are able to go out. Pray. Sometimes we wonder, you know, we just feel silly going out to evangelize. But put yourself in the, back in the frame of mind of the first century Christian. They saw the resurrected Christ. People thought they were nuts until that. People had come back. But yet they preached the word, and the Bible says, with boldness they preached. And the Spirit of God bore witness. It's the Spirit of God empowered that people would have faith. Does that change today? We maybe haven't physically seen Jesus. And what did Jesus say to Thomas? You know, I believe because you're seeing him. But 
Blessed is he that believes and has not seen. May be more blessed than your faith in God's word. Be a part. Don't be on the sidelines. Don't be a spectator. Get involved in reaching our community for Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask that you bring this preacher revival. That you bring me personal revival in my own personal walk. Help me to shepherd the flock. Help revival to be contagious. So, little fire sparks brings a great revival. May that spread in our church. May it spread in our community. May it spread around the world. Lord, we pray, Lord, that things are happening in Russia and Ukraine. We pray, Lord, that you would bring spiritual revival there. No longer are they at ease in their life. But may you open the gospel witness. May you somehow open the doors where the gospel would spread forth more rapidly there in both Ukraine and Russia and the other parts of the world. Lord, we just ask the Lord that you bless us as we go forth this week and we would rejoice. Rejoice in your salvation. To rejoice in the security that you give us and the peace that passes all understanding. We ask you these things in your name, Christ. Amen.